I'm your host, Tali Goff. Welcome to Get Free, a submarine podcast. I'm a writer, professor, creative technologist, and a DJ. I earned my PhD from Yale in American Studies on the intimacies and overlap of globalization. Alongside earning my degree, I taught myself how to DJ, and since then, I've been asking others what their yes is, having found mine in music. I have so many fascinating conversations every day with the quirkiest people, so many of whom have channeled their creativity as a way to get free and live their yes for a living. Freedom is a verb, an ongoing practice of discovery about the unknown within ourselves. The late great Caribbean poet, Kamau Brathwaite, gifted us with the words, the unity is submarine. So on this podcast, I invite guests to dive deep with me to imagine that we're shipwrecked on an island with select items that we're allowed to bring along. My guests include theorists, artists, designers, and architects who talk about the books, art, and music that mean the most to them. Other special seasons will feature collaborative speculative design projects that I've been lucky to be able to facilitate as part of my two organizations, The Dark Laboratory, which is a collective at the nexus of storytelling on stolen land and stolen life, and Afro-Asia Group, a space for coalition building and third world diasporic solidarity. Uh, So I am Dr. Chandler Purity. Um, I consider myself, I don't know, like a freelance intersectional climate scientist is the word, the phrase I'm going to use today. Um, I got my PhD in plant ecology. So I I studied fire frequency in Southern California. Um, And when I was doing that research, I was like, this has nothing to do with me. (laughs) This seems useless. I care more about social justice and people around me and people in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I ended up teaching at the university, uh, environmental justice courses. And through that time, I um, developed a few other courses and I got exploited as an adjunct. Yay. Um, And I discovered the intersectionality truly of a history of racism and white supremacy and our current reality uh, in our climate um, situation. Uh, And so uh, that's something that's been really interesting to me to explore. I kind of consider it like high thoughts, you know, Mm -hmm. like asking why, what if, like, why, why are things like this? I don't know. Um, And I just like asked why, why, why until like currently I'm in the 1800s for how we got into this mess. Uh, And I, uh, like I mentioned, I left academia. I consider myself an artist first and foremost. Um, Pottery, painting, writing, uh, I would consider an art. And uh, my creative process, that's my creative process. My creative process is living. Um, It's connecting with people. I think mm, the most important part of my creative process as an artist and a scientist is talking to everybody Mm. about climate change. Um, Custodial workers, um, 
lawn care providers, um, people on airplanes, Uber drivers, just really connecting with people. Um, and I believe that the most effective way to engage people in this issue is through storytelling and connection. I love that. It really feels like a kind of philosophy that is your creative practice and it's all in one. It's not that you can separate these things out. And yeah, I feel really honored to welcome you to the Dark Laboratory. um, So excited. Our collective where we really just think about stolen land, stolen life, and how we can't tell those two stories without each other. So in terms of Black and Indigenous creativity, survivance, science, um, it's just, I feel a privilege to be able to bring so many folks together who know that as part of their family history, as part of the history of this country that goes back centuries and millennia. Yes. Um, so welcome to Dark Lab, Chandler. I'm so excited, Tao. And you know I've told you this before, but like the fact that this exists, that I met you, that you created this, um, completely validated my entire existence. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess for um, listeners, we should kind of rewind a bit that yes. we met, um, I guess it was in October, I think, or maybe November, but in the fall of 2021. Mm-hmm. 2022 now where even are we in time but I'm visiting um UCSD so San Diego and we were at a dinner together maybe there were 20 people there mm-hmm. and I feel like we were on opposite sides of the table mm-hmm. I was giving a lecture on a sound sculpture I made with um former students of mine called Dirge on Black and Indigenous burial and yeah, it was just so great to be able to meet you at that dinner. It ended up with <laughs> a night of meeting um, one of your colleagues, Chinchilla. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> when we went to their apartment um, after dinner, and it was such a, a warm welcome. And so great to be invited by Dr. Kalu Fox, who's at UCSD, mm-hmm. to talk um, at the design lab there. But um But yeah, it was also just amazing to learn about the histories of Kumeyaay territory, what it means to be Black and Indigenous within that very specific location. So could you tell us a bit about, yeah, what San Diego means to you, um, even about Oklahoma or other geographies that matter? Of course. Yeah. Um, This is so exciting. And I love this question. And I'm mad at myself that I haven't asked myself this question, but this is the point of being in community. Um, so I was born in California, but I didn't grow up here. I grew up in Oklahoma, um, K through 12. And a fact that I learned about Oklahoma two years ago (laughs) is that Oklahoma has the, um, highest, it had the highest concentration of, um, residential schools for, um, indigenous people of the Americas. And so, uh, it has like the highest population, one of the highest populations of indigenous communities. And I didn't know that. Um, Growing up, my family, our family best friend was also a mixed couple and they were, uh, it was native and white. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like, I don't know, I just kind of assumed everybody 
was in relation with Indigenous people and kind of was familiar with the history and things of that nature. Um, But I didn't learn a lot about the land itself. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother, she's from Kansas. She has a very strong connection to land. And she always talked, she would talk about it as if it had its own spirit, right? Even as a white woman, so go her. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk about the land as if it, the wind as if it has its own spirit and a real connection that she felt with the land. And so I think I gathered a bit of that from her. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately in Oklahoma, that was the only school that I was in that taught us anything about indigenous peoples. So um, I also went to school in Kansas and Nebraska and none of the other states I lived in even really mentioned indigenous peoples. And what we learned in Oklahoma was just like that experiment where you like crush up a brown paper bag and pretend it's like buffalo skin and then draw like teepees and stuff on it, which, um, Whoa. Is yeah, but that was the extent of it in the place that has the highest number of indigenous. So like, and that was the little bit that they gave us. Um, And so in hindsight, like, Obviously, I'm noticing these patterns. Uh, I uh, then ended up, um, obviously, growing up in Kansas as a Black woman was, like, pretty fucking shitty. So um, Mm -hmm. I never felt a connection to that land. I've always been more drawn to water as Mm -hmm. a Pisces moon myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I went to, you know, school in D.C. I don't remember. um, It was a Black school, right? But we didn't have any of that conversation around whose land it was originally. Mm -hmm. Um, The one thing from D.C. I remember is going to the, uh, I believe it's called the American... Indian, Indian American, American Uh, Indian Museum. Right. And the main takeaway I have from that museum, which by the way, like if you go to college in DC, you know, smoking a little (laughs) something and then going to the mall, because all those museums are free. And the Smithsonian and all of that. Yes, of course. It's wonderful. Uh, And so I remember there, there were two plaques for every exhibit. And one plaque was like, this is the signed agreement of what the indigenous people and the colonizers agreed upon. Hmm. And the plaque on the other side is like, and this is what they did anyways. (laughs) So just a complete disregard for um, the, uh, their agreements. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then of course I come to UC San Diego for my graduate education. And that's when I started, uh, when I was truly first introduced to the conversation of um, land acknowledgement, right? Um, right? Whose land this was. And it was brought to my attention that the university was on Kumeyaay land. Right. Um, I, uh, my relationship to San Diego, I hate it. <laughs> I tried to leave <laughs> so fast. Uh, oh. <laughs> San Diego is essentially a city. If I had to describe it, it's um, a city for all of the white people who graduate from fraternities and sororities to like live adult lives. Um, Which means that like the personality types here are like being outside, like surfing, biking and like IPA beers. Like that is, those are the EDM maybe. Like those are your options. Um, And of course, California has less black people than um, a lot of the states like in the South where I grew up. Uh, There was the great migration of some African-Americans to Mm -hmm. California, um, but still California has about half the number of, it's had like 7% Black people, whereas the national average is like 14% in the country. And the South, 
Oh yeah. And the South is like 30% and stuff. So or 50%, like depending on areas. So California, um, very much not very black. I believe, uh, I'd like a large number of the black community here in San Diego, which only has 6% black people, um, is homeless. Uh, and so that's, I guess, where my energy was focused was like on the, I'd come from an HBCU. So I was focused on like the blackness. And then I get introduced to conversations about like border issues and again, land acknowledgement. So um, through story, I was, I learned that um, it was Kumeyaay land, right? And then not only was it Kumeyaay land, UCSD was very sacred. Wow, um, Kumeyaay land. And it's especially, land. very holy land, especially uh-huh. where the our Geisel Library is, which is yeah. our main. Geisel was um, Dr. Seuss and like mostly yeah. fuck that guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there's this huge, really eyesore, in my opinion, of a library. It's like a cube on one little tip. Mm-hmm. Um, and that library is placed on the most sacred area of the land. And my wow. understanding is that this area was used for um like ceremonial gathering of sage. Um, But the reason that they, that was a sacred place to gather sage is because there were a number of um, their, it's a burial ground essentially. And that's part of the intention with sage for indigenous people is that when you're burning the sage, it's not necessarily that the plant is magic. It's that the plant is made up of your ancestors quite literally. And so when you burn it, you are communing with their spirits as well. Uh, And so, yeah, we just rode right in there and we're like, let's put a great library here. This is by the way, was after the university was used as a naval base. Whoa. I believe. Um, and you can feel every piece of this story when you walk on campus. Yes. Um, one of my acknowledgements, or not acknowledgements, but like whenever I would go on campus because I could feel just like the anger. It just felt like, yes. it, I don't know if those are the words, but it's there was a thickness in the air always on campus. Um, we also have a ton of invasive... Um, eucalyptus plants on yeah trees which are weeds of course and they were brought to california with the hope that we could use them for lumber for railroads Mm -hmm. and so capitalism and then they grew a bunch of them and they were too soft to use for lumber so now we just have them and fun eucalyptus do is they poison the ground (laughs) so that nothing else can grow so it's all just like bare grounded eucalyptus and it's like cloudy there and it just has like this energy around campus Um, And so I, when walking around campus, I would have this, like, to me, it was like an agreement. I was like, listen, I fucks with y'all, like spirits, Uh spirits of the land. I too am here because I'm mad at them. Like I'm mad at them too. We're in this together. Um, And when I started doing that, I felt like safer on campus. Right. Um, But yeah, so Kumeyaay land, sacred burial ground, and up until this day, when the university goes to build a new campus or a new parking structure, they do come upon indigenous remains. Um, And then they make the tribes uh, jump through hoops to prove that they should have access to their own ancestors, which is pretty fucking wild to me. 
Uh, and then in terms of blackness in campus, right, I mentioned that San Diego is 6% black. UCSD is 2% black. So uh, the campus was built, of course, on these sacred lands, and it was built with the intention of providing um, education to the wealthy people of La Jolla, to their children, so that their kids wouldn't have to go to SDSU with all the browns. Right. Um, and it was built, the majority of the campus was built during the 60s. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of, we have like brutalism architecture. Oh, yeah. um, the campuses are separated into seven separate campuses, a la Hogwarts, kind of. Mm -hmm. But it was really set up so that it would be hard for students to organize and protest. And it's the same with our brutalist structures. Um, and so it's kind of this. I mean, it's when you look back, I guess if you look anywhere, there's always a story of Blackness and Indigeneity in land. Yeah, there is. Um, but that's mine. <laughs> and that's totally why at Dark Lab, we have a kind of ongoing series called Dark Blueprints, where we're engaging with architecture and race mm. because I felt that energy on campus when I went through Sethi. Yes, like, especially as a Pisces. <laughs> yes. And it's a land-grant institution, just like Cornell University. And the reason we started Dark Lab was because you feel that thickness or even the kind of wavelength yes. of what happened here. Yes. And the massacres. It's all there in so many different ways. So yeah. out of that, the only way that I could imagine <laughs> of surviving in the place was to investigate it mm -hmm. through Dark Lab that is very much about Ithaca as a place where, yeah, there's high student suicide rates. It's oh, bad. Yeah, you guys have that. it bad. So do we. We've yeah. got it real bad. Real so, bad. It is a problem that affects everyone, and there's so much silence around it. So I'm just really thrilled that we get to think about these sacred and holy lands, because when I presented Dirge, which is about burial, I didn't even know that this was so pertinent to UCSD. To the land but I guess if we were to go to any number of US university campuses, you're <laughs> often gonna hear about native burial grounds. And oftentimes it's true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they actually chose those specific sacred spots because they knew, not because they didn't know. Right. So the fact that the library is there, I would love to learn more about that. Yeah. No, and I mean, with the idea of like everything everywhere all the time, um, mm -hmm. and I believe that like time is a flat circle, so everything ha is happening all the time. So like yeah. those travesties are like happening currently, yeah. you know, when yeah. we're walking around. And I know some of the younger, more intuitive people, mm -hmm. like um, some of my colleagues would bring their kids to campus. Mm -hmm. and the kids won't go to the library. Mm. They won't go to it. They won't go in it. Um, and I think that, like you mentioned, that you have a problem with suicides at university, your university, and we do as well for yeah. undergraduates and for graduate students alike. And fraternities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think that when you're struggling with something, it's so much harder when you don't understand where it's coming from or why. Yeah. And you can just ascribe it to yourself. Yeah. And so... Uh, being on that campus, and I'm sure it's the same with Cornell, because yeah. I can like energetically feel into it. Yes. It's hard work <laughs> showing up there every day and like staying in your body, staying yourself is really hard work. 
work. And I really feel for people, especially, you know, in these academic spaces who don't believe in spiritual, who don't believe in history, who don't believe in energy. And I'm like, but you're feeling it. Yeah, And (laughs) And so what are you ascribing it to? Like, how are you explaining it? And in terms of those plants, it's even on a molecular level in terms of ancestors who are there as part of that. If they don't want to believe about the spirit world. Exactly. Um, Right. But yeah, thank you for that really deep answer because I think in so many ways it it powers and informs what it means to get free, (laughs) which is the title of this podcast, because knowing that history, being a historian of this country just Mm -hmm. as an act of living and being an artist, being in tune, um, there's a kind of requirement to choose yourself and to say yes. So I often ask my students, you know, what is your yes? Okay. (laughs) First day of class. And a lot of them, especially at a more conservative institution like Cornell are just like, what does that mean? They get all nervous. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But really, we're thinking about Audre Lord and the way she talks about this kind of erotic power. Like, what is that thing, that action, that verb that just makes your whole body say yes? And mm-hmm. for a lot of the students, I'll just say to them, if you don't know, that's fine. But think about yeah. why is it that nobody has ever asked you that? So, yeah. Dr. Purity, what is your yes? <laughs> yeah, so you actually even... Uh, sent me time to prepare for this question and (laughs) I still really struggled with it. Um, I think it's a fantastic question and the exact kind of question that we should be asking each other and especially Mm -hmm. students. So I'm going to go with what is my yes? Um, (laughs) It could be reading. It could be tarot. (laughs) It could be, I, I want to say because I'm feeling feisty today that Mm -hmm. My yes is, um, I love a fight. Mm. I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I love a fight. I have fighting energy in me. And honestly, like, I get more down and depressed when yeah. I'm not fighting something that I consider to be inju- unjust, wrong, exploitative. If I'm not fighting for something, then I'm depressed. Or I'll fight people around me. So, for me... My yes is like fighting for other people. I love that I don't know. because I, like it. I often think about, you know, the leaders, the generals, the naturalists, especially the mm-hmm. women and femmes who were part of an army that was about fighting. And mm-hmm. the fact that the battle is not over means that we still have time to win. Yes. That's how I choose to see it. Of and course. You have to feed your army. You have to garden and cultivate. You have to, (laughs) all of these Mm -hmm. different things are part of that fight to survive. Yeah, exactly. The black community. Yeah. And I think you could relate fight to resilience, to survival. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, I, that's like one of the interesting things in a culture that's so, so, so comfortable Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people are afraid of confrontation and afraid of fighting. Um, 
And uh, for one, there's so many creative ways to fight. You know, you can fight yeah. spiritually, you can fight with your words, you can subtweet on the internet. Um. <laughs> <laughs> some people, that's their creative outlet. Sure. Yeah. And some people, you know, are better than me and can hang out in crowds and like can protest and fight and like, you know, mm-hmm. those young girls who threw soup on Van Gogh. Like we all right. fight in our own ways. Wow. Yeah. But I do think that it's also important because especially as like a femme, as a woman, it's always in a black woman. It's always like, oh, you can be you can't be angry. Don't be angry. Um, people always accusing me of being angry, even when I'm not, because again, I have fun yeah. doing this. <laughs> but this idea that anger is a good emotion, um, especially like for me as an Aries, I only get angry when things are unfair mm-hmm. in the world. And it makes me so angry. And yeah. I think about every movement of um, social justice in the world and like, do you think Martin Luther King wasn't angry? (laughs) Do we think Malcolm X wasn't angry? Do we think, you know, and I think that there's a lot of beautiful things, community, um, wanting to help feed your community because you're angry that the world doesn't. Like, I think that anger can be a wonderful motivator. Yeah. And I think especially more femme people should be encouraged to embody that because like, it's righteous. (laughs) You have a reason to be mad. And if not, then we kind of bottle this resentment. Yes. And it eats us alive. Yeah, exactly. Eat us alive where it could lead to self-harm in ways that we don't realize that we're exactly. doing that. Um, yeah. But you mentioned, um, you know, different intellectuals, leaders, fighters, <laughs> and um, yeah, this fight for social justice, for mm-hmm. equality, and on this um, podcast, you know, I ask people to kind of imagine that you're on a deserted island, maybe you're shipwrecked there, but you got to bring with you um, a yeah. book, an essay, a film, a musical album, and a luxury object. So just to And? Give- or, or? And. And? Okay. Yeah. Fair. Um, so this is actually my take on a radio program from the UK called Desert Island Discs. Mm-hmm. British people love to list things. <laughs> I'm originally from the UK. <laughs> and it's always like, what's your top 10 for this, this, and this? <laughs> but it can be fun to sort of have a conversation about what does a deserted island even mean? Yes. Um, in the kind of European imaginary, because I think about all of the different microbes, ecologies, plants, animals on this island. Right. Let alone indigenous peoples that may inhabit this imagined island (laughs) to say like there actually is no such deserted island or desert island um but in this space that we're imagining together so sort of against that british colonial way of seeing things um tell us what book would you bring with you (laughs) um Okay, well, I love that you make me ask this question because, and then you're going to make me answer it because my answer was like, I'm going to bring somebody else. <laughs> I would love to bring community. God, like, hell no, am I going to go somewhere and be by myself? Like, the point of life is to connect with people. So I also like this implication that, yeah, probably the island has people there already. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's good. And it, you have uh, sidestepped my first attempt to bomb this question. 
Um, if I had to bring a book, honestly, I the scientist in me is like, I would obviously bring a book about like what's edible in the community. Um, <laughs> however, I think I would rather just like intuit that, <laughs> which yeah. is very, very much a thing. Like, yeah, very much a thing. And so if I had to bring a book, it would be actually this book that I'm reading right now. Mm-hmm. Um because I haven't finished it, so I'm gonna want to finish okay. it. It's called uh, the the Poison Heart, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, and it's about a young black girl, black woman who can control plants wow. with her. Um, not she can't really control. She kind of can control plants. She can like make them grow faster, oh. and like when she walks by plants and stuff, like they grow towards her. Huh. Um, and it's this idea of like she's the light. And there's going to be some, like, mystery in it. And she inherits this, like, beautiful, huge house with, like, a secret garden kind of vibe. So I really want to finish that book. And it's so fucking exciting that there are books like this with Black women leads. I also found a book about witches who are in charge of making sure the climate stays right. And so it's, like, a book about witches and climate change. Yeah, It's freaking me out. It's making me want to write my own fiction (laughs) climate change book. But I think it would be A Poison Heart. That would be the book I would bring. Perfect. I love that answer of a book you haven't finished reading yet because, yeah, we want some suspense. We want something. Yeah. (laughs) We figure out the ending of um, instead of having to choose a book that's supposed to represent us as professors or PhDs. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, no, don't do that. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well... This is the follow-up question then. Is there an essay that you would bring um, with you to this island? Um, I would say that I've only taught, unfortunately, spoiler alert, last year I was actually teaching a writing course. Oh. Crazy. Totally unqualified. Um, I was teaching a course about like basically how to tell your own story. Hmm. Um, And we did read a number of essays and I don't remember most of them. If I had to pick an essay, I would say probably anything from um, Audre Lorde, just because um, talk about an oracle. (laughs) Uh, Everything that I have read from her has just like changed my whole life and pulled me out of my skin and put me back in it. So but I, that's what I would say. But again, I'm not um, an essay type person. So that's my best answer. But totally just thinking about, yeah, what she's written on anger, I feel, and healing. And yeah, there's so much there that would be helpful on this island, I believe. Yeah, so intersectionality. I mean, just like, yeah, strength. Yeah. Okay, so somehow there's a kind of movie theater or scene projection on this island. This one's easy. What film are you going to bring with you? This one is easy. Watch on repeat, maybe, or that's fine. (laughs) That's totally fine. No, this one is important, and it's going to be because I don't know. Maybe like one day along the line, like I could be part of like starting a new society on this like mm-hmm. or I'm sharing it with yeah. my um the indigenous peoples that I met on the island yeah. so the movie that I would bring is in my opinion the most impressive cinematic work um and it's the only example of truly race-blind casting hmm. and I believe this movie um could save the world hmm. and that movie is um the Cinderella with Brandy in it oh Oh, oh my gosh. 
Yeah, what a blast from the past. Yeah. The tapping. Yes, yeah. it's iconic. People always say that my sister looks like Brandy, and mm-hmm. they're thinking of her as Cinderella. Mm-hmm. So that's such a certain <laughs> moment. Brandy is Cinderella. <laughs> she is Cinderella. You have Whitney Houston belting out stuff. Whoopi Goldberg yeah. married to a white man who has like I think a Vietnamese son, and it's like, wow. what does any of this mean? Oh the stepmother God. is white, and she has a biological black daughter and a white daughter, and it's like, you know, I I have a lot of problems with like race blind casting, especially looking at you. Um, what's her name? With all the TV shows, uh, Scandal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What is her name? Shonda, Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. yeah. I have big beef with Shonda because, like, her race blind casting just always ends up being super <laughs> racist. <laughs> um, and when people are like, oh, how can you do race blind casting? I'm like, everybody, we should look at this Cinderella film. Oh. Nobody, nobody was lost on the plot because these people didn't match each other. Like, yeah. There was no debate, or I, don't, no. I can't remember the debate back then. No, there, yeah. yeah, but there it is. It's been there done. It is. It's allowed. And yeah. I feel that there's a kind of brandy renaissance in terms of, and maybe this is just how I've been open to or looking at the moon. But mm-hmm. her song "Full Moon," I've been hearing it when I'm out shopping. Ooh. And I just feel like she wrote a song named "See." I got it. I'm gonna yeah. put that on my Spotify. <laughs> So full moon is something that I've been thinking about and just, yeah, Brandy and Moesha. Speaking of the Black California experience, yes, like that show was formative and she goes deep into a lot of these questions over the years that it was on. So, wow. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, Brandy, super iconic. Um, I'm hoping that she will have a revival because yeah. in my opinion, Brandy and the Cardassians are like um, oh God. foils. <laughs> you know I mean? And so like, if I kind of think of it as like sine waves and like, mm-hmm. as the Cardassians go down, like Brandy's going to come back up. That's how I feel. Yeah, let's, let's believe and hope that that would be <laughs> the case. It's very different energy, I think. Um, Anything so is possible. Then speaking of music, um, what album would you bring? Is there, and not just the song, but like an album that, you know, would help you get through this time on the island? That's a good question. Um, yeah, certainly not Kanye anymore. Honestly, I'm gonna... I was going to say there's this Mika album that I really like from like a long time ago. It's like really into it in middle school, but Mika's white. So like for the culture, I'm actually going to go with the Popcon album forever. Oh my God. I love Popcon. <laughs> that album is just like, it's mad. And I think it's going to match the vibe of vibe. the island, gonna which is going to be important. Yeah. And it's like upbeat and there's like into the storm and like, it's, I really like that album. So I I hear it and I feel it. I think it is about that fight, that creative fight. That would be the struggle of how do we build a new world? Yes. That is not about annihilating the current worlds that are on the island. (laughs) We are so like on this wavelength. That's what I'm saying. That you're part of the lab and we're going to do cool things. (laughs) I think Um, we knew each other in a past life. I think so. Yeah. Before. Because it was just so, you easily could have not gone to that dinner. I know. Met the chinchilla. Yeah. 
very easily. But I think we would have met some other way. So yeah, um, yeah, we've definitely met before. I feel. <laughs> um, which brings us to the yeah. last question, which is, what luxury object would you bring with you? So yeah. usually people will interpret this as like, oh, I bring a pen so that I could write down my thoughts or something like that. So it could be whatever you imagine as a luxury object on this island. Okay. Well, when I read this question, I assumed it was an or because I deliberately read over the and. <laughs> um, and I've prepared my answer and it's okay. luxury to me, so I don't care if it's wrong. Um, I'm bringing a extra large suitcase filled uh-huh. with already rolled blunts. That's what I'm bringing. <laughs> yes, that is a luxury. I think it yeah. fits the album. Thank you. I think it fits the whole vibe. It's going to be a vibe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to convince myself that I can grow <laughs> stuff out of the soil. I'm just going to be like high, wandering around, yeah. dancing. You're going to um, be a farmer. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the. As long that's you can the light plan. a fire, then I think you're good. Right? That's exactly. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I'll figure it out. And then you could do things with the suitcase. I can see it. Yes. Yes. I could like, yes, prop it up, sleep under it. I mean, (laughs) it's just the whole thing. Whether or not I need, you know, maybe float in it, you know, I could like put some leaves on the outside of it. It could be a little boat. Um, (laughs) But I think my intended, my understanding is like, why would I leave this island? It's also giving... I think, like, in hindsight, I was very much channeling, like, the Tainos, which, like, my, at least my understanding from, like, the John Leguizamo special is, like, that's what they were up to. <laughs> like, hanging out, vibing, smoking weed. Yeah. Before, like, that's what you're supposed to do on the islands. Totally. I see it as a kind of retreat, especially mm-hmm. in this current <laughs> world of, like, hyper productivity. And exactly. Work from home, all the bullshit. I think that the island, yeah, is not necessarily somewhere to be rescued from. Maybe no. we're trying to get there. So we can get free. Yes. Obviously, pretty sad state of affairs when we're like, no, we would go to a deserted island and stay. I'm just <laughs> looking for some rest and relaxation. Uh, that's miserable. And something that helps me when I think I'm being lazy, which is like all the time, um, even though I'm extremely productive, but it's, yeah. you know, mindset. Um, and so I always remind myself that if plants grew the way that we're expected to work, then they would like deplete the soil in a single season. True, true, true. Yeah, that soil exhaustion, it's yeah the name of capitalism and colonialism mm-hmm. and it doesn't yeah. make any sense. No. So the best, most sustainable thing that people can do is to be lazy. In my opinion, that's my yes. opinion. To rest. Laziness. To, yes. Yeah. The wait. To yeah. chill. To, to be. Yeah, to be. Totally. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Um, we're just excited to welcome you to Darkland. And um, yeah, really glad to get this podcast going and excited that you're going to be starting your own podcast. Um, yes, I actually have some, if you don't mind, if I plug it. <clears throat> Please do. So uh, 
After many trial and errors, um, I met a woman on TikTok, and mm-hmm. she's also an Aries, and she's from India, and she's a comedian, mm-hmm. but she like lives in Texas. And so we have started a climate change um, pop culture like comedy uh, oh show. Gosh, I love and it. <laughs> it's <laughs> called uh, the show is called it's called Balance. Mm-hmm. Um, our first episode is on like fast fashion, sustainability, and clothing. Our second episode is really looking at um, like beauty products, makeup, uh, skincare, and that relationship to um, sustainability as well. And uh, yeah, it's just a fun time. I like in our conversation today, Tao, it's just really fun to explore the intersections of all the things and mm-hmm. to be able to talk about all the things that I love in one spot. So super, super excited about that. And obviously looking forward to having you as a guest there. I can't wait. Yes. For our universes to cross over and collide. Um, so in terms of social media, if people want to learn more about your creative work and practice, um, where should they follow you? Yeah. So if you want to learn more about my art, you have to break into my house because I don't show it to anyone. <laughs> and that's a problem that I'm working on mm-hmm. is like sharing my art. Yeah. I'll show you Tao okay. after. I'll show you a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I would recommend following me on TikTok at House Purity. I'm okay. a youth connecting with youths. So that's where I'll be found. H-O-U-S-E-P-U-R-I-T-T-Y mm-hmm. on TikTok. Um, if you can also find me on LinkedIn if you're a professional person, if you're too old for TikTok. Um, <laughs> I'm not really on Instagram like that okay. because I'm just not, I don't like it there so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and if you would like to email me because I do uh, do speaking engagements and things of that nature mm-hmm. is also housepurity at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tandler. And yeah, I'm looking forward to our next part of this journey together. Yay. Thanks, Sal. Thanks for tuning in to Get Free, the submarine podcast. I'm your host, Tally Goff, professor of literary and cultural theory. Don't forget to subscribe if you're enjoying the conversations. As with all things, a team is necessary behind the scenes to produce the culture and art that we enjoy. So I want to give thanks to Get Free podcast producer and cinematic composer, David Gonzalez, for his vision, ear, and sound mixing. The opening and closing track features the musical stylings of steel pan composer Justin Lowe. Till next time, we have a lot of exciting guests lined up who will talk about the books, films, art, and music that means the most to them. Thank you.